many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow. About tomorrow, I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said, and today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know But the one who feeds the sparrow is the one who stands by me. And the path that is my portion may be through the flame or flood, but his presence goes before me, and I'm his blood. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Boy, if we really believe that, you know, if we really believe that, it changed how we perceive things, how we view things, and you know, how situations, circumstances, really, how we view those things. Boy, I'll tell you, that's, that's a good song. That's got a great message. I think it's a message that probably I need to learn more. I'll guarantee you that. And uh, maybe a few of us in here do as well. Well, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 again. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 5. Again, we're uh, going to pick up, we're going to finish up with what we started with last week. And um, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, of course, uh, we're, we're dealing with Timothy and, of course, Paul the Apostle writing to Timothy. And we know that Paul was his mentor. We know that Timothy was his, uh, you know, student, if you will, and son in the faith. And so there was a tremendous bond there. There was a relationship there. 
we started chapter 5 and uh, we kicked it off where he says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And we saw that there were certain types of relationships that uh, we could liken the church to and, and it would encourage us and help us if we would apply those It'd keep us pure, it'd keep us clean, it would keep us functioning properly. And so we saw a number of things there, and uh, that was helpful. And then we moved along, and we got into verse 3, and we started talking about this idea of honor widows that are widows indeed. And so we started talking about that issue of widows and, and what constitutes or makes them widows indeed. Well, we didn't really get to all of that. What we ended up really nailing or, or dealing with was this idea in verse 4 that says, He says, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to shew piety at home and to requit their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. And what we found is that the first responsibility of a widow or to the widow was their family, their family. So if they have children, uh, they have extended family, even even grandchildren to some degree, that that family has a responsibility to meet the need of that widow. And uh, so we, we saw that and we began to note that. And as we went through, we started to see a few things about the widow in verse 5 through 7 when the Bible says, Now, she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. We noted that, first of all, she's, she's involved in desolation. She's desolate. She has no one. She has nothing. No one. Nothing. No one. Nothing. She is desolate. And that's important to understand. Then this aspect of dedication. She trusteth in God. She's dedicated. And then also, she's dependent on God. She continueth in supplications and prayers. The truth is, is when we pray, we are saying to God, I need you. When we fail to pray, we're basically saying, I don't need you. That's basically what we're saying. And so we see this widow, uh, this that is a widow indeed. She's going, she's not only desolate, she obviously, uh, in this case, has no one and nothing, but she's trusting in God and she's continuing in supplication and prayer. And then finally, her devotion to God is, is, is recognized because it's night and day, night and day. She's continually, consistently on her knees, begging God to provide, protect, and care for her. And she's the kind of woman that has grown to be faithful through the years, as we'll see here shortly. And finally, in 1 Timothy 5, 8, we ended again. We kind of drew it, uh, we got to that place, and once again, the apostle returns back to that original um, concept when he says, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, it's interesting because we use that passage quite often for just in general, a dad taking care of his family. But that's not the context of the passage. The context of the passage is, is really taking care of the widows, taking care of the woman that is in need, taking care of a mom that's passed away, taking care, I mean, taking care of a mom whose husband's passed away. That's the context of it. See, I don't even think that God's, I don't even know that God's thinking, I have to tell some man that's married to a woman that has children that, they, that he ought to take care of his family. I don't even think that's an issue. I think that's ridiculous to even assume that God's thinking, well, you know what, in the church, we're just going to have a bunch of lazy good-for-nothings. I, I just don't, I, that's not the context of it. It's not a matter of I have to go to you and say, by the way, when you get married and have children, you, listen, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than God's going, are you kidding me? That doesn't even make sense. If you're going to bring a child into this world, then you ought to take care of them. That's just common sense. Yes, sir. 
Okay, that, I, I think, so here he's specifically addressing the issue here. And he's saying, in the context of widows again, he's saying, listen, if there is a widow here and, and your mother's widowed or, or even your grandma to some degree, then you need to think about, can I be of help to her? Can I assist her in some way? Can I help meet a need in her life? I mean, she is family. And if I'm not willing to take care of my family because I'm that selfish and I'm, it's all about me, then he says, you are worse than an infidel. It's as though you are worse than that lost man or woman. Yes. Yes. You're in worse shape than they are. That's amazing, isn't it? That's true. That's true. And so we kind of ended with that wonderful thought. <laughs> and we move to verse 9 now. And now we're going to really get some guidelines now. Widows indeed. Now, I, I, let me say this. We really do not get this whole thing. Let me explain what I mean. Somehow in our culture, in our world, we have grown up believing that the church is like the Salvation Army. We've grown up believing that the church is responsible to take care of everybody's needs. That's kind of how we grow up. Well, there's a need, preacher. I just really think, you know, uh, the church needs to help this family. Okay, well, where in the Bible does it say we have to help all the families? I don't know, I'm just wondering. Where does it say that, first of all? Show me in the Bible where we're we're to take care of who? Widows indeed, but does it say anything about taking care of all the widows? No. He's going to give us some guidelines. He's going to say, you have to be responsible with the church finances. You have to be responsible with what's coming in. You don't just throw money out because somebody needs if you're doing that, you'll never have a penny in the coffer. Right. Everybody's got a need. Everybody needs something. And so it's not the church's job to make sure that your family eats. It's your job, sir. And notice I didn't say, ladies, it's your job. It's not a lady's job to provide for a family. It's a husband's job. And listen, I'm not... Somebody, I know somebody's over there, well, heartless and... Somebody comes into trouble and they can need some help, and that preacher says they're not responsible to help them. I didn't say that. I'm, I'm not saying that we can't step in. I'm not saying we can't help. But wait a second. Do you realize that throughout the Bible, you know who's really called to help? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, if, listen, there, there are situations, I'm going to tell you right now, those ladies back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, even here, you know what they realized? If I don't raise my kids right, I won't eat when I get older. They didn't have public assistance in those days. I say, this is really going somewhere. I don't like it going, preacher. We better, listen to me, in this generation we live in, we better be thankful that, and, and listen, I'm not convinced that we ought to be thankful for this, but we, many people better be thankful that the government's stepping in and helping with these needs, because if they weren't, the family certainly wouldn't be. We're not, we better be careful how we raise our kids, folks. Because biblically and scripturally, they're the ones who are supposed to step up and meet our needs when we get to the place we can. That's how, what the Bible teaches now. I know that's a little funny. And I understand that the church has responsibility. And we're going to see where it lies here when it concerns these widows. Because, see, just because... And listen, I'm not trying to be mean. Just because you're older and you're widowed here today doesn't mean the church is responsible to make sure you eat. Somebody says, wow, this is, that's really rough. Well, let's find out what the qualifications are. Let's see what God's Word says the church is responsible for. And understand, before it's over with, you're going to find out that not only is the church responsible for a widow indeed, 
But the widow indeed is responsible to work and serve in the church as an employee, basically. You're going to see that that's how it works, really. That she, in essence, is an employee of the church. She gives her life to the ministry now. She's not sitting at home watching television and eating bonbons. She's not chilling out on the Internet, Facebook all the time, talking to people. She's busy in the work of God. Watch, watch it now. And again, I'm just saying this, I guess, a little bit of shock value because I want you to really tone in a little bit because we have these preconceived ideas of what the church's responsibility and what the church's role is. And sometimes it's not rooted in Scripture. It's rooted in tradition. And it's rooted in sentimental emotion. We feel so bad for people, so we, we feel we have to step in. How many of you have ever given somebody something and you thought, man, I, don't, I really don't know if I should give this, but I just feel bad for them. I'm just going to give it anyway. Oh, my hand goes up 12,000 times. But you know what God says? You've got to be careful about giving to people because sometimes you could help promote their lifestyle or their sin. You've got to be careful. You need to let the Lord lead you in things. Man, I'll tell you what, if there was a good family in our church, and I say good meaning there is a tithing, faithful, committed family to this church, I don't think there's a... Did you hear what I just said, by the way? But anyway, uh, you know, they're invested. They're invested in this ministry. I don't think there's one person or family in this church that would have a problem with trying to help them out. I don't think there's one person, as a church helping. But I also believe this, there'd be a number of families in this church helping them too. You know... I mean, there'd be a bunch. I think there'd be people coming to their aid. Because, and that's how it should be. That's what's supposed to happen. But just because somebody comes in off the street doesn't mean we're responsible to meet their needs and pay their bills. And that's the mentality, it seems, that has permeated our culture today. And, and I want you to understand, when it comes to widows, there are guidelines. So what are the guidelines? Verse 9. Notice what it says here. It says, let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old. Notice, taken into the number. So obviously there's a group then. Taken into the number. Let not a widow be taken into the number. Now, what, what kind of? Under three score years old. You have to be at least, what, 60 years old. You have to be at least 60 to even be considered for this support. You have to be 60. 59 and a half? Sorry. Sorry. Okay, maybe we'll sl- slide a little bit, okay? But anyway, notice, okay, 60. Okay, so we got an age requirement. Notice what else. Must have only been married to one man. Okay, so somebody comes in and says, Preacher, I have no one. I have nothing in this world. And I say, well, how old are you? I'm 60. How many times have you been married? Three times. Sorry, we can't support you. You've been married twice. Sorry, I can't support you. you. You can only be married to one man. Just like a pastor, it's not one wife at a time. Okay? One, one husband. Now, now listen, you say, why would that be? Why would God be so heartless? Well, the idea is, remember, I thought family was supposed to take care of family. So if she'd been married twice, it almost, I think almost God's almost saying, there has to be somebody that could take care of her. She's got two families, her husband's side and the other husband's side. 
Do you understand where I'm going with this? I think it's pretty clear. I mean, it's assumed that having been married twice, she's surely going to have somebody, immediate family or extended family, who could accept responsibility for her. It's not being God being ruthless or heartless. It's the way it just makes sense. And then some questions are asked. We have to ask a couple questions. Look at verse 10. Well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. See, before placing a widow on the roll, a few basic questions need to be answered. Need to be asked, at least, for sure. First of all, in the very beginning, it says, well reported of for good works. Is she well reported of for good works? What are we basically saying? Does she have a reputation for having lived a good and godly life? Now, wait a second. That isn't in the last six months, folks. That isn't since she just got saved three months ago and her husband just died. We're talking about a woman who has been living a Christian life, who has been living an exemplary, separated, consecrated Christian life. I mean, that, the Bible says that. I, I'm not making this up. Notice B. Is she a giving person? What do you mean giving? Well, look at it. It goes on to say, if she have lodged strangers. If she had lodged strangers. What the Bible's saying here for us is leadership needs to look at this woman's home. She's got to look at her home. It goes beyond, did she, was she faithful in church? That's what we're going to get at here in a minute. What's her home look like? What's her life look like? Beyond the context or walls of this building. And, and some of the questions that are being asked is if she had lost strangers. I, you know, I... Is she humble? Is she washed the saints' feet? Now, I, I don't, we don't practice foot washing around here for good reason. I hate feet. <laughs> if a church practices foot washing, so be it. I don't have a problem with that. Nothing wrong with that. I, I don't really necessarily believe that we have to practice foot washing. I think there was a real legitimate reason for it in those days. But we don't have those reasons today. At least I hope your feet are clean. But in those days, they did wear sandals. In those days, they did walk through dusty trails. And in those days, the, the apostle Peter even remember when he was told by Jesus that he needed to get his feet washed. He said, hey, if you're going to wash me, wash all of me then. He said, I don't need to wash all. You just need to wash your feet. He's making an, implica- an application there to the life, the Christian life. We walk out in the world and we get dirty from here down in a sense. God doesn't expect us to go jump in the mud as Christians, the mud pen. He expects us to make, from time to time. He knows it's going to be tough to walk through this life without being tainted with some filth. And we've got to get cleaned up on a consistent basis. That's what he's getting at. And so the foot washing issue was an aspect of humility, but it was also a very necessary one for hygiene and, 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 and cleanliness. We don't have those, those needs culturally today, and I don't necessarily believe that it's one of those things like baptism. You don't see anywhere where it has associated or tied to, the, to, to salvation and then growing in the Christian life. You don't see it associated with that like you do baptism. So nonetheless, though, it still points now to this woman in those days. Was she a humble woman? Was she willing to wash the feet? Was she willing to go and be a servant to others, not just her own family? Notice, does she have a heart? 
it, it says, if she have relieved the afflicted. Do you know in the book of James chapter 1 verse 27, the Bible says, true religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep them unspotted from the world. Notice again, true religion, pure religion, I should say, excuse me, pure religion and undefiled before God. And the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions. Has she been doing that through her lifetime? That's a good question. Because, see, it reflects her heart. What about this one? Is she quick to help? She quick to help. If she have diligently followed every good work. Talking about this widow now. Okay, this is the widow indeed. She's, she's, um, she's at least 60 years of age. She's only been married to one man. And this is a woman here, according to the passage, who has washed the saints' feet. She's lodged strangers. She's relieved the afflicted. She's diligently followed every good work. That's, those are all good questions, aren't they? If a woman lived her life like that, and if she raised her children like that, do you think if the children could in any way possibly help their mother, they wouldn't? They, they would, I mean. I think so. I think so. If, a, their, if her child, this woman's children or child, could not support her and help her, there would be very good reason for that. Very good reason. Does that make sense? So we have this taking all the, everything's out of the way now. He's just laying it out for us. And so then he, he turns around in verse Timothy chapter 5 again now. Notice verse 11 through 13. He's now going to state some things. He's going to say, but the younger widows refuse. Why are we going to refuse the younger widows? Okay, so we've got this really faithful, wonderful woman. She's been extremely committed to the ministry, committed to the work of God, committed to her husband and family. Boy, she's just been the epitome of, of Christ-likeness. She's only 57 years old or 54 years old. Why do we not allow her to participate or be called part of the number here? He said, refuse her. Just like he told Timothy to refuse profane and vain babblings, he's telling them to refuse widows now in this case that are not, that are younger than that age. Notice, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will, they will what will they? They'll marry. See, when a widow comes in to the number, she makes a vow to be chaste and committed to Christ only. She says, I've, I've determined I'm not, I'm going to just serve the Lord till the day I die now. I'm just giving him everything, all of it, all of it, all of it. I'm just going to serve God through the local church. And that's what she does. Because, see, this younger widow refused. Why? For when they, the younger widows, have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Well, what's wrong with marrying? There's nothing wrong with marrying if you'd like to marry. But there's something wrong with it if you've committed yourself to Christ and said, I will remain single and serve only you. And I'm asking, and the church now is going to take me on and help me and support me in this endeavor. 
Now, to turn your back on that commitment is a problem for God. He says, don't do that. Younger women will be more apt to do that. They'll struggle with that. Notice, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. Well, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? See, this is not just some, hey, can you guys give me some money? Hey, guys, can you support me? Hey, guys, can you just help me out? No, this is major stuff here. We're talking about making a commitment to God. And, and it's major. It's big time. Verse 13, and with all, here's another problem, he says, these young widows. You've got to refuse them. With all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Wow. Man, Paul's not messing around. He's laying it out there, ain't he? He's saying, listen, you go ahead. He says, you have to be careful. Don't permit the men under 60. A widow indeed is at least 60 or over, been married to one man, and is, one of the, is a person who, who has a heart. I mean, they're quick to help. They're a person who, who, who um, is humble and is hospitable. But those younger widows, you refuse them because they're going to end up making a commitment that they won't be able to keep. And they're going to have a desire then to be married after they've committed themselves. So you, you do them the favor and say you're not permitted to be a part of this because you're young enough, first of all, to find a way to support yourself if you have to. And second, we don't want you to break your vow to God, so we're not going to put you in a position to do that. And so he then says, also... These younger widows, unfortunately, he says, they may, with all, after it's all said and done, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things they ought not to. So he's also concerned these young widows will be tempted to become lazy, that they'll lose sight of their purpose, seeing that they're financially cared for. You want to know one of the reasons why I don't believe in supporting a pastor that goes out to start a church full time? I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of saying, guess what, we're going to support you uh, for two years. In the United States, that is, in the United States. I don't, I, don't, I don't like the idea of, okay, Brother Dean says, hey, preacher, I feel like I, God wants me to start a church. Praise the Lord, brother. That's good. Well, just go out and raise $4,000, $5,000, $6,000 a month. That's what they're doing now. Go raise all that money so that you can focus your ministry and get focused on the Word of God and you don't have to spend all that time working a full-time job and trying to balance the ministry and balance your family and do all of that. And that's what's going on right now. We've got preachers, and I promise you this, I get them all the time, just like missionaries. They send me letters. Oh, you know, I'm going to go start a church over here and I'm looking for support. Support for what? Can't you get a job? Hold on, watch what I'm going to tell you. I have no problem. One of our young men leaves this church, and we as a church say, you know, we're going to get behind them. We're going to help them. Matter of fact, I'd be tempted to send a couple families with them personally. I think that's even a better thing to do. Send a couple families that are already tithing members here and send them out with them to help support the financially and to help to support in, in soul winning and to help support in Sunday school and the music ministry or whatever it might be. Man, I'm all for that. 
And I'm all for even giving them some finances and saying, we're going to pay for your building. We're going to try to help you with certain expenses. We're going to try to alleviate that burden of expense on the onset. And all you have to worry about is just providing the, the basics for your family. You won't have to worry about the ministry burden right now. You can just walk in every week, preach the word of God, go out soul winning with these families. You can do the work of God. But here's what happens. I'm afraid of this. And I see it a lot of times. You get that full-time pay. You're already making three, four, five thousand dollars a month. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It took me, I think, 15 years to get to 3,000. May have been 17 years. But in the first, first day they walk out to start a church, they're making three and four thousand dollars a month. And here's what happens. They become idle and lazy because they have nothing to work for. It's handed to them. And now all of a sudden, honey, can you get some milk? Because the kids, you know, and honey, can you come home and take care of the babies? And honey, can you be here because we really need you at home? And honey, can you do this? And he's ramming and running, taking care of his family, helping raise, and we're paying him to raise his family. No, he's being paid to go out and start a church. And that means knocking on doors. That means spending hours. And here's what I found. It's easy to get lazy when you don't have to worry about paying the bills. I found that to be the case. You want to know why so many of our kids want to come home and live with us? Because it's easy not to have to pay bills. It's comfortable. But there has to be incentive. So we send out a man of God. And we say, listen, get a job, deal with the stress and the strain and the time constraints, put into 80, 100 hours a week. And guess what he does? He works like a maniac because he, all he can see is the finish line. I want enough people that we can support the family, even part-time. I can get on part-time. Then he gets on part-time and he says, man, if I can just get another day, if I can just get another day, Pretty soon he's full-time. Some of you young men, if you want to be full-time in ministry, come talk to me. I'll teach you what you need to be full-time, not what the world says you ought to have and what you think you should have. You let me help you with that. I'll tell you what our staff starts at, what most of our young men start at. And if you want to start a church and be full-time, then may that be a good number for you to be full-time at. And I promise you our staff doesn't make too much when they first start at Community Baptist Temple. But it's good training. They'll learn to appreciate what God gives them. But here's the thing. These widows now, if they're not careful, these younger ones will become idle. Why? Because they don't have anything to, they don't, they don't have to worry about making bills. And then they get lazy. They fail to do the work that God's given them to do. And not only that, but it gets worse. Because the Bible says here that not only do they become idle, but they become tattlers also and busybodies. So what, this, what he's saying is, is simply this. They're out there putting their nose where it doesn't belong in other people's business. They're talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. They're gossiping and they're tattling and they're getting involved in everybody's business and they're not doing the work that they're supposed to do. He says, that's a danger right there with them younger women. Somebody says, you picking on ladies? No, God is. This is God's business. And he's saying that's a natural curve in your makeup, ladies. And you want to know something? It's a natural curve in all our makeup. If we don't stay busy, we'll find something else to do. That's the reality of it. 
So he says, be careful. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, look there real quick, would you? Look at this passage. Because they were having problems with this in the church of Thessalonica too. Notice what it says here. See, God's real big on this issue. This is important to God. This issue of, of what we do with our time and what we do with our finances and what we do with all of these things are important to Him. Notice in 2 Thessalonians 3.11, the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Well, what are they doing? Working not at all, but are busybodies. Isn't that something? You put men to work, they ain't got time to complain about stupid stuff. You keep ladies busy in the home, they don't have time to worry about stupid stuff going on in the church. You know what the problem is with us today? We've got too much time. We're not busy enough. We think we're so busy. But isn't it funny how we have time to worry about everybody else's problems? Put our nose in everybody's business? Isn't it funny how we can talk about things that have no bearing on us whatsoever? Well, why is that? Because we have too much time. We're not working. And we can make the application that if we were working in the house of God, we wouldn't be complaining about it. That's the reality of it. You show me somebody that's extremely busy in the work of God, I'll show you somebody that's quite content in the ministry. They're content. Oh, they might have an issue here and there, but they'll go right to the source and take care of the problem because they just don't have time to mess around with it. They're busy. And these widows, he says, those younger widows, you've got to be careful because if they're not careful, they'll become idle. They won't work at all. They'll become busy bodies. We could take time to talk about the tongue, and I planned on doing it, but I'm going to skip over it. But I want you to note James chapter one, 3 real quick. I was going to make two quick thoughts because it's so important because this is an issue. It's, it's amazing to me when I look at the passage in Timothy dealing with widows. I mean, we're talking about women that are older here. We're not talking about teenage girls. We're not talking about teenage boys. We're not talking about young men and young ladies that are in their early 20s. We're talking about seasoned veterans here. And look at what they're apt to do. That's scary, isn't it? To think that a 60-year-old or a 49, a 50-year-old or a 55-year-old would be caught up in this stuff after all those years of serving the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it? But it's obviously possible and it's likely if not handled properly. Notice he says in James 3, verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing uh, that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is perfect man, and able, to, uh, also to bridle the, able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships which they... Uh, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a, small, a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue 
is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defiled the whole body, and set it on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. And for every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The tongue, first of all, a fire. Don't ever forget our tongues are fire. They're a fire. A fire begins small, but it quickly escalates. It demands great attention in order to contain it, by the way. You have to focus on it to keep it shut down. In most cases, fires grow out of control, and when they do, they cause unparalleled damage. Notice what else. The tongue can no man tame, he says in verse 8. No man. By the way, that means you, and that means me. Not one of us can tame our tongue. Not one of us can control our mouth. That's what he just said. None of us. None of us in this room can control that thing right there. Why do you think God says to be slow to speak? Because he knows this will take over. Notice, he says, never tame, but the tongue can no man tame. So if the Bible says that no man can tame the tongue, what he's really saying is there's never a time when we can be without restraint then. Because see, if you take... take for instance, if you did bring an animal in, and again, we can, we can, in a sense, tame animals or we can lock them up and we can uh, treat, uh, train them to, to act a certain way and, and, you know, what they call even domesticate these wild animals today. They're trying to do a lot of that today. I think it's very dangerous personally, but the fact is, is that when you take that animal, if you really want to be safe, you want your children to be safe, you're going to put them in a a pen. You're going to lock them up. You're going to secure them. Because you can't really tame it in that sense. We've got to be mindful, constantly mindful of the tongue. It must be confined, it's got to be caged, and it has to be controlled always. Always. Constantly. The moment we permit the tongue to be free to respond or react without restraint, it will devour. It's a fire. That's what it does. And every one of us fall in this category, and every one of us fit the bill. And we just have to be honest with ourselves. That's all. I just have to say, you know what? I can't control this, so I have to consciously, consciously and constantly be aware of it and keep it restrained. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, he says. So that's what we see, and, and so it's important. Now, in light of that truth, Paul makes a few recommendations then concerning widows. Verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry. Here's his recommendation. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. He says he would, ra- he would have the younger women marry, bear children, and guide the home. Now, I, I'm not so sure... The younger maybe means 59 years old then. That might not be quite practical. But for sure, those that can bear children, those that are young enough to, to marry, those that are young enough to have children and to raise children, he's talking to them. Don't bring them in. Don't be tempted to say, oh, I, I, I just love my husband so much and he's gone and I just can't bear the thought of, of being with anyone else. No. He says, I would have the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. Now listen, this is what God would have for young women today too, by the way. 
This is not politically correct, what I'm saying. This is what God would have for young women today, too. Right there. There it is. This is a concerted effort. There, there is a concerted effort today in our world, in our culture, to devalue the position of a wife, to devalue the position of a mother, to devalue the position of, of, um, of, of a homemaker. Uh, so what do you do? Well, I, I'm a wife, a mother, and, and I, I raise my family. So what do you do? What do you mean, what do you do? What, what do you mean, what do I do? I'm doing the most important job in the world. I'm doing the job I was created to do by God. There's nothing degrading about a woman being a wife. And there's nothing degrading about a woman being a mother or there's no shame in being a homemaker, if that's what you even want to call it. Guiding the house, guiding the home, he says. See, a woman, a woman's God-given purpose is rooted in this calling right here. We don't talk a lot about that because it rubs us wrong in our world and culture today. Because, listen, let's just be frank. What's most important to most of us is that right That's there. It, right? Yes, sir. That's what matters to us. Yes, sir. That's Do we have a nice car? Do we have a nice house? And somebody will say, well, I feel it's my responsibility to provide well for my wife. Well, good, then you do it, sir. Don't expect her to. Let her do her job. You do yours. It's funny how we're dealing now. Now, hold on. I'm not, listen, don't be mad at me, please. I'm just telling you the widow indeed. When we're dealing with his widows, he's telling those younger widows to marry, bear children, guide the house. Well, why is that not practical for us today? Why why does that not matter to us anymore? Well, we can juggle all of it. Okay. I see how that's turning out in America and even in our churches. Preacher, you're being really mean tonight. Not being mean. I want you to think about things. The world keeps telling us stuff. Guess what? I don't care what you say, but if I tell you enough times that being a homemaker is degrading and a dead-end purpose, sooner or later you're going to buy into that. And that is exactly what our children are being uh, told every day of their life, that if you're not contributing financially to your home, ladies, you really don't, you're not valuable. What are you talking about not valuable? And by the way, I wonder why we're living in one of the most depressed societies in the world. Why is it that our, our rates of suicide are skyrocketing, not only among our adults, but our children? Why is it? Maybe it's because we're not really fulfilling our God-given purposes. We're out there trying to fulfill our purpose. And we find no purpose and no contentment and no real joy in our life. So in verse 16, he says this then. Notice what happens. He goes right back to it. He makes sure we don't miss this again. If any man or woman that believe believeth have widows. What do you think he means by believeth? Born again, maybe? Saved? Part of the family of God? I would think so. Let them relieve them. And let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Don't put the church in an awkward position, he's saying. Don't allow yourself to neglect your responsibility, thus putting on the church more responsibility than they are required to handle. You do your part. You fulfill your responsibility. 
So as we conclude, the church is to serve humanity. There's no doubt Jesus did, and we're to do what he did. But there are stipulations and there are limits that exist in order to protect the church and the testimony of Christ. So he says, if you're going to take a widow in, if you're going to supply and meet her need, if you're going to support her, and, and I believe they're talking about fully supporting here. We're not, we're not talking about giving her 50 bucks a week. We're talking about literally, she's, we're supporting her. We're paying her bills. We're meeting her needs. Not like she wants them met, but she's going to eat, she's going to have a roof over her head, and she's going to be able to do the work of God. She's living over in the Pawnee property, in the basement. No. <laughs> Maybe upstairs. And we're helping her. Now, wait a second. He tells us what the stipulations are. In the world we live in, though, as we close this, that's not how it works anymore, is it? Every widow has something coming in. And I want to say this. I'm not convinced today that we are better for having our government take care of our widows. Because in the end, a couple things happen. Number one, they lose their motivation for raising the offspring that will take care of them. And second, they lose their motivation for being faithful to God because without that, they can't be cared for. Do Do you get where I'm going with this? In the end, it was a better day when a woman said, you know what, I need to be a good wife, a wonderful mother, a good homemaker. I need to raise my children with character. And if for some reason, God forbid, like Ruth, or excuse me, like uh, Naomi, my, my husband and my children are taken, I have the church to fall back on because I've been faithful. And I'm going to make sure that I'm faithful. And there'll be no reason why they can't take care of me. We don't have that today. I'm just saying, I think we were a better world before government stepped in and started taking care of all of our needs. Because it forced us to live in a way that not only glorified God, but depended on Him and His plan for us, not someone else's plan. And I'm just, I, I'm not saying I, I, I'm glad to get it. I, I'd be paying the Social Security every week. I think you'd be crazy as a minister of God, and I don't want to get into all that mess and why you should be taking it even if you're not. But, you know, unless you don't believe in saving money for the future, I, I, ethically I had to get into Social Security. But, but the fact is, is that I pay into that all the time. It's a savings program for me, and I'm sure it is for many of you. But outside of that, there's so many things that have stepped in to help us that we've taken away some of the real need to become what we ought to be. And I'm just saying, we need to think about these things. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you just to think. That's all. You got moms? You got family? Let's become what we ought to be today to them. Let's not wait till somebody passes away before we start interceding in their life and helping them in their life and being a part of their life. Get involved today in their life. Put yourself in a position to be the son, daughter you ought to be. Even if they've not been what they ought to be 100%, you be what you're supposed to be. And let God worry about the fallout.
Do your best filled with the Spirit. And widows indeed, as we close it, is just an area that we sometimes have misunderstood. And support from the church and so th- many things sometimes has been misunderstood. The Bible determines when and how we ought to do those things. Have a heart. We need to be passionate. We need to be compassionate. But we are not obligated to provide for everyone and anyone that wants it. And that's a thought that we need to remember. Father, we come to you. We thank you for just the simplicity of your word again. Lord, uh, it is a practical book. This word is practical today. 